We Welcome to the Keep the Faith podcast. I am your host, Tori. It is a beautiful Monday. Hope you guys enjoy the um, 4th of July weekend. Hope you did not eat too much. Um, Hope you enjoyed your time with family and friends. And of course, um, we are doing it live. Um, And today we are talking about mental health awareness. And I have a special guest with me, Mrs. Nicole Fall Nicole. Tell us a little bit about yourself. For those that may not know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, thank you for having me. My name is Nicole Paul. Um, originally from Catholic Coast, South Carolina. I live in Warren, South Carolina currently, and I work at Positive Solutions Counseling. It's a private practice, and I'm a counselor there. I'm a licensed professional counselor at Hope Hill. Okay. And you're originally from where? I'm originally from Okay. Okay. All right. Trying to see whether or not we have a little. Okay. All right. Well, listen, it is National um, Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. And of course, you are a counselor, correct? correct? And how long have you been doing that? Actually, I graduated from Duck University in 2020. So that's why I'm a licensed professional counselor associate. In order to be a licensed professional counselor, you have to do, it's like 2,000 something hours of counseling. So I'm actually in my last step, just getting the last 2,000 hours. Okay. Sounds good. Now, counseling, is that something you always wanted to do? Kind of something I fell into. Um, everybody used to always tell me I'm level headed, I'm non judgmental, I give pretty good advice. So I was like, I wanted, it was always my dream to get a master's. So then I was like, you know, maybe counseling might be. Okay. Now, also, I wanted to ask, we were talking about this um, previously, like we first met, and let me just shout out to Mingle of the PD, because we actually met because of the networking event we had back on, I want to say June the 17th, and it was at the Showtime Event Center in Florence, South Carolina. So big shouts out to the Mingle of the PD. We got an opportunity to meet so many different um, business owners, entrepreneurs, different um, occupations, doctors, lawyers, some of everyone was there at that particular event. And we were actually talking about the um, mental health. And the one thing that we were all this, you know, discussing is the fact that in, in the black community, mental health is something that we don't talk about. At least not everyone talks about it. It's, it's kind of like a stigma in the black community. A lot of us do not want to seek the help. And we were actually talk, having a conversation as to how you, um, when it comes to mental health, we don't, a lot of us in the black community do not want to seek help. We feel as though we can go to the, the pastor, go to the church and pray, but it takes more than prayer. And just elaborate, if you don't mind sharing that, you know, what you were saying when we were talking about that particular, con- you know, that conversation where we thinking we can go to the, the, the pastor and the preacher can just pray it away. It's going to take more than prayer sometimes. 
definitely. Um, I'm a strong believer of saving your professional life. So if you need religious or spiritual advice, the preacher is definitely the person for that. If you need counseling advice, you need to seek a counselor. The difference with a preacher praying for you and getting mental health is preachers are not bound by ethical laws or um, even confidentiality. So when you go to a preacher, he's just giving you his advice on what he thinks you should do, and that might not be the best option for you. He also has no um, HIPAA laws governing him, so he can talk about your situation with other people within the church. Whereas if you went to a counselor and actually sought mental health treatment, they would treat you and help you deal with your mental issue, or if needed to be, they would give you a referral to someone who can give you medicine, maybe do a combination. But because we're bound by the ACA code of ethics and we're bound by HIPAA, you don't have to worry about your personal business being discussed outside of the session. And also, like when you were saying how when you go to the pastor, people will know, well, let me just say some, not all, but some pastors, people will know it'll be all throughout the church and be like, well, how did you know when I was taught and I talked to the pastor in confidence? Now, not all pastors do this, but I have known (laughs) some to do this. And the other um, conversation was having like, say you are, you having a, you know, a conversation with a friend, you may tell your friend, well, I'm dealing with depression. I'm dealing with anxiety. I'm dealing, you know, there's so many different type of mental disorders that there are. And you may mention to a friend, well, I'm dealing with depression and they may say, well, what's wrong with you? Just shake it. You know what I mean? You got to be, you have to have those people that are supportive. And that was another conversation that we were talking about as well. Like say you have a friend and you're telling them that you're, that you're depressed and they're telling you basically to shake it off. It's not that easy to shake off depression because the depression is real. How I know is because I've dealt with it. One day you may feel like you okay. And the next minute you like, you don't want to get out the bed. So elaborate and talk a little bit more about, you know, talk on, talk on that. Right. Well, I'm not sure if it's still going, but it was a commercial that said, where does depression hurt? And depression hurts everywhere. It's a true statement. So it can hurt you mentally and physically where you can't get out of bed in the morning. You can't concentrate. Um, you put on a mask and try to get through the day. Uh, the difference is when you tell a friend and they have no experience with mental health, you know, they'll tell you shake it off or they're not supportive. And I hate to use this word, but it's actually just because of ignorance, because they don't know any better. That's why if you seek a mental health professional, we can help you deal with the depression. Now, this I think people think that you're going to go to a counselor and your problem's going to be solved in 60 minutes or less, just like a pizza. That's not going to happen. We're going to talk to you. We're going to um, work on the situation. Sometimes we can give you breathing techniques for depression and anxiety. Sometimes, again, you might need medicine, so we can give you a referral to a psychiatrist, or sometimes it might be a little bit more than what a counselor can help you with, and so they'll give you that referral. But um, it's basically having that support. When you have a counselor, you have someone to support you in your mental health journey. Now, can you break it down, or do you know off the top of your head the different types of mental disorders that people could deal with like depression is one if i'm saying it right depression anxiety would anxiety be considered okay could you could you explain the different um, types of disorders dealing with the mental state it's so many (laughs) well just name just name a few and if you don't mind explaining the ones that you name okay depression would be more like um 
more cognitive, but it also can be physically. And if this the, your feelings and emotions, um, anxiety would be more of depression is more down, whereas anxiety is more intense up. So usually how I learned about it is depression is something that you can't change and you're more thinking about that all the time. Whereas anxiety is something that's going to happen in the future or maybe you're living right now and you're tensed up about it. Can I also explain the difference between um, behavioral and mental health? Yes. Okay. So the best I can put it is behavioral health is what you're doing. So if you're depressed, behavioral health is maybe you're eating a lot or maybe you're sleeping all day or maybe you can't eat or sleep. That's basically your actions. Whereas mental health, that's more your thoughts, feelings, Wow. Now, how do how do you describe um, bipolar, being bipolar? Bipolar is more of a, it's several things. So off the top of my head, I can't diagnose anyone because mm-hmm. we use what's called the DSM-5. And with the DSM-5, you have to have certain things that will make you bipolar. So off the top of my, it's so many, I couldn't tell you. Okay, but the, with the bipolar, the reason why I asked about bipolar, like if you're dealing with someone and like say they're, it's like they have different personalities because I know I'm guilty of this. Like if I'm dealing with certain people, they are one way today, they're another person. And I, and I was like, and I know I'm probably doing, I know that I'm probably saying it wrong, but I I feel like they're bipolar when you, you're going through a range. Like it seemed like you got a split personality or would you, how is, um, what is the other one? Uh, schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is more kind of like, is that kind of like when you, how do you describe it? To where you you hallucinate? You can. You can. But, um, okay, so with bipolar, there's different types of bipolar. You can actually be bipolar one or you can be bipolar two. Um, the same with schizophrenia. schizophrenia. So you can have hallucinations. You have like auditory or visual hallucinations, but again, there's guidelines, and out of the guidelines, you have to meet X amount of criteria in order to be diagnosed with Okay. And because I was looking at you, the I cannot remember her name, but she's the actress on um she's on a Tyler Perry. I, she's a well-known actress. I cannot think of her name. I see her face, but she has came out publicly and says that said that she has bipolar. She's like the um did you you ever seen the movie uh the uh Tina Turner when um what's love got to do with it and she played in the movie uh what's love got to do with it? she played uh Angela Bassett's mother I can't remember her name but she played the mother of Angela Angela of course was playing the the character of Tina and she was playing her mother in that particular movie she has actually came out publicly and says that she suffered from bipolar disorder and the way she the way she has handled her roles you would never never think that she has bipolar so it's like she's a functional what I would say a functional uh person with bipolar that people would notice and oftentimes people can have mental disorders you know and they can live normal lives that doesn't mean they don't need help or they're not suffering internal it just means they can function with the disorder it's kind of like anything else if you cut off your right hand you learn to adjust and use your left hand it's kind of the same thing 
And that's what I noticed when it came, comes to depression. Like a lot of times people deal with depression. There's some people that may sleep all the time. There's some people that may eat. And um, a lot of times people equate depression with sadness. That's not always the case. There are some people that are bubbly. They're laughing and talking. And you would never think that they were depressed because I had a friend in college that she was always laughing all the time, always joking. So none of us never knew that she was suffering from depression. And one particular day she woke up and drew up and drove off of the bridge. And we never knew this because she was always laughing, always joking. So a lot of times, cause I know I'm guilty of this. I always assume that if you're sad, that you're depressed, but that's not always the case. You can be the most bubbliest person and be dealing with depression. Right. People can mess things in different ways and there's no one size fit all when you're talking about any kind of mental like you said, somebody might be happy all the time. That's their way of masking the pain. Whereas someone might be more upfront and I'm sleeping all day and you can kind of tell something's wrong. You can't put people in a box because different people are going to react to different situations, different ways, and they're just going to handle it different ways. Now, what would you say to someone that may be watching this broadcast and they're dealing with, um, oh, you know what? Victor said, is, there, is, your, is, the mic, is your mic turned on? I'm looking at the comments. He says, is her mic on? I'm looking at the comments. Make sure yeah, it's, it's on. It's on. Okay. Can you hear me now? Jennifer Lewis is the actress. Thank you, Victor. Okay, speak to the mic. Can you hear me? Okay. But Jennifer Lewis was the is the actress that Victor helped me. Jennifer Lewis is the actress. Okay. okay, they said it's difficult to hear what you're saying. So is the sound very low, you guys? Okay, but um, what was what was it? I lost my train of thought because I lost mine too. <laughs> um, because I want to get the sound right, but. Um, I think, oh, I know what I was about to say, what if you, if you're dealing with someone, like say they are going through a um, depressed state and you have, like we were saying earlier, you have a friend and you tell them that, you know, they're, you know, you, you tell them to shake it off. What do you, what would you suggest to that person? And, and because their friend, like a lot of times, if you tell someone that they need to shake it off that it, or it's nothing, they may go off the deep end. You, you you just never know. You have to be very careful what you say to certain people because they may go off the deep end. But what would you say to someone that may be um, dealing with that and may have people that are around them that supportive and because of a comment, they may not want to open up to anyone else in the future. So what would you suggest to someone that may be going through depression, anxiety or anything and they feel as if they don't want to talk to anyone about it and they don't feel like getting help is necessary because, you know, sometimes we tell ourselves we don't we don't need the help. We don't need to. You know what I'm saying? We can we can pray about it and, and be OK. So what do you say to that person? First things first is I'll say call positive solutions counseling and call the cold ball. <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, <laughs> in order for anyone to get help, you have to want help. So, again, it's kind of staying in your lane. If you have a mental health issue, your friend is probably not the person to talk to. They may mean well and what they're telling you, they may actually believe that doesn't mean is reality or truth. So I would say seek help outside of your friends. And I know it's a difficult step 
help and sometimes people feel like, you know, I don't want to get help, but if you don't get help, we actually can't help you. I mean, you have to seek the help. And uh, we do lots of things to reach out to people. So uh, we do mobile counseling, we have a flexible schedule, and we actually do weekend counseling. Okay, hold on a second. Jamel, Brian, so your mic need to be turned up. It's just on. Okay, bear with us, you guys. Okay. Okay. They can't hear. They can't hear her, though. Okay. You hear it clearly? Okay. All right, we're going to keep going. Keep rolling. <laughs> We're going to keep rolling, you guys. But um, the other thing is, because I've actually been in that position where dealing with depression, and I'll just share my own personal story with dealing with depression. For me personally, people that know me now know that when I deal with depression, I don't like talk. I may turn my phone off. I may not answer the phone. I may not respond to text messages. And I'm the type of person, you know, I don't want to feel like I'm a burden to someone. And sometimes, and I've actually have, has, have had had counseling in the past, but I feel like, um, even though sometimes I feel like I, even though sometimes, even though we talked about it earlier about the praying, sometimes I feel like, well, I could just pray this way. But I noticed that the depression, it comes and goals. And I'm one of those people that I don't want to be on medication for any and every type of thing. I was one of those people that didn't want to take medication, especially when it comes to depression. Because when I was in college, the one of the uh, medications that I was prescribed was the, I'm not sure if you heard of, I think it's well-known Zoloft. Is it Zoloft? And there was something else. Um, I forgot what it was called, but one of the main ones that they wanted to placed me on with Zoloft back, you know, when I was in college and I was like, no, I'm not taking medication. So, I mean, it gets to the point sometimes where medication is necessary, but, you know, like I said, sometimes even myself, I'll say, well, I could pray this, but pray about it and hopefully it goes away, but it doesn't, it comes and it goes. So what do you say to that person that may have that relapse going from depression, you know, feeling like you're okay and you're really not, but you don't want to go back to counseling or you don't want to take the medication, how would you encourage them to seek the, the necessary attention or, or medication if necessary? I would definitely say to start with is go. So everybody who's in counseling, they're not going to be long term. So if you're kind of on a slippery slope where you're up and down, maybe you're a person who doesn't need counseling every day or even every week. You might just need to do a check-in. So for you, that might look like once a month or once every other month. Um, also, with the medications, it's actually been proven that African Americans are usually given older medicine and less effective medicine. So, also, if medicine is something, maybe you need to read through a doctor visit and see are you actually on the right medicine because you've aged since then, hormonal changes that have happened since then. So, maybe the medicine that you were given back then probably isn't the best medicine for you now. So, I would also say prayer is what you usually do. I would say keep praying, but maybe you need to add something along with your prayer. Okay. Okay. And the other thing that I was going to say, um, 
when it comes to um, anxiety, because I've I've had friends, I don't personally deal with anxiety, but I've had friends that um, deal with anxiety. Now, could you, and here's another thing, I don't know if it's a mental illness, but how do, is, is uh, I think it's, it's PSP, is it PTSD? Is that considered a mental, mental disorder? And how do you describe, is PTSD? How do you describe P post? Is it you said post? Post traumatic stress disorder. Okay, what are some of the causes of that? Usually, for a post traumatic stress disorder, someone has seen something or been in some kind of situation that has caused trauma. And with the trauma, the trauma has actually passed. That's why it's post. But the person cannot move past that trauma. That's why they and they keep reliving it, or the trauma keeps showing up. And again, different people are going to handle things different ways. So you might have someone who witnessed someone die in a car accident and they're perfectly fine. Another person is going to have PTSD because they can't deal with the image or the aftermath or maybe even survivor's guilt. Okay. And I heard about the um, survivor's guilt, how that can affect people, especially when it comes to the loss of a loved one. Oh my God, that is that is very, very traumatic, especially if you have, um, when it comes to um, when you feel like something could be prevented, I don't know. I had a situation when it came to, um, to a situation like that. Let me just, let me elaborate. I had a situation where when I was in college, I had a friend of mine that was, a um, had a thing for me, but you know how you, you can, someone can, they can like you, but you don't like them. But he asked me to go to him. I mean, he asked, I got sick one weekend and he asked to stay with me that particular weekend. And I chose, I was like, no, I'll be okay. And he, and he chose to go to like, it was a frat party or something. And I didn't go. And so he ended up, I was sick that particular weekend. And I told him that I encouraged him to go to this party. And I stayed home and I went to sleep. So about one or two o'clock that morning, I heard the sirens. And then my roommate came to the room and they were like, everyone was screaming. And, and I'm like, what's wrong? And I saw, I heard the, the loud ambulance and everything. And I didn't know what happened. Well, long story short, I encouraged him to go to this party. And, and he wanted to stay with me, but I said, go to the party. And he was killed. And I... I know what you mean when it's talk about that survival's grip and I'm getting emotional <laughs> as I think about it because I blame myself. I felt like if I would allow him to stay with me, then he would still be here. And a lot of people tell me that I can't blame myself, but that happened when I was 19 and I'm 44 and I still feel bad. You know what I mean? So I understand. I didn't mean to get emotional. I always get emotional on all of my stories, but I mean, the bullet wasn't even meant for him. And I really want to say I'm sorry for the loss of your friend and to let you know it's not your fault. The person who pulled the trigger is their fault. Yeah. And that's what people tell me, but I just, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking he said, you know, he wanted to spend time with me and I just like encourage him to go to this party. And by him going to this party, he lost his life. And of course, lives can't be replaced, you know, but when you start talking about this, that what took me back when you said the survival, the survivor's guilt, I feel like that. And I try not to think about it a lot, but, you know, when you said that, it kind of took me back to that time. But thank you so much for that. But um, and, and I just want to add in that we call that a trigger. So 
That's what it was, a trigger. Because I was I was fine <laughs> until you said that. I was good. I was fine. But when you said that, oh my goodness, it took me back. It was a it was a trigger. Yeah, it was definitely a trigger. And a trigger is anything that takes you back or reminds you of some kind of event that has happened. And that doesn't necessarily have to be with PTSD. That could be a trigger for depression or basically any mental illness or any mental disorder. Okay. Alrighty. Okay, let me see something. Okay, guys, we're going to have to reboot for 30 seconds. We're going to take a break for 30 seconds, so bear with me, okay? Listen, thank you guys for um, the break. Um, had some technical difficulties, but we good. But listen, y'all, every week, you know, something will trigger me and I start crying. I'm not supposed to be crying. I'm supposed to be all strong and stuff. And <laughs> what you said, the, uh, what do you call it? A trigger. It's it was a, a trigger. trigger. It was uh-huh. a trigger. So we started talking about that. But that was one of the... Um, that was one of the things I wanted to point out when it comes to that survivor's survivor's guilt. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm actually um, looking at a comment as well, Shaquana. Quana. And uh, she was saying she was so happy to hear about the mental health issues in the African-American community. And like, like I was saying, um, for some reason, I don't know why. Um, especially let me, let's talk about this. Why do you feel like, and I know you can't pinpoint why, but why do you think it's, um, it's hard for men, especially African-American men to not want to seek help? Cause a lot of them, they go into caves and they don't a lot of, and I'll just say men in general, especially African-American, they don't want to talk about things. They'll go into caves and they'll shut completely down. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it stems back a long time ago. So basically, I feel like it's for first and foremost is because we've been oppressed. And after the oppression, we've been taught to be strong and don't cry. And as men, you're seen as weak if you cry. And, you know, when you're a little boy, when you fall, pick yourself up and be strong. And don't you let anyone see yourself cry. You, I mean, let you let them see you cry. So I think it's just that oppression and just the fact that we expect a man to be strong. And so if a man tries to be vulnerable and talk about his feelings or tell us anything about his feelings, I feel like they look at it as they're weak now because they've been taught to be strong and be so upright that when it's something with feelings and emotions, you're weak. If you, you know, you say anything and you just deal with it. And not only that, but I feel like um, men in general, Normally, people don't seek help until it's like the last option. You don't go to the doctor until you've taken every over-the-counter medicine and it doesn't work. Then you go to the doctor. It's the same with counseling. People usually don't seek counseling and it's like the last option. So I've tried everything else. Nothing's working. Now I want to come to counseling. And I think for men, it's even harder because it's that vulnerability. It's hard to sit in front of a stranger and tell a stranger your intimate personal thoughts and feelings. That is a very hard thing to do. 
Absolutely. And I know the first time that I did that, um, I want to say the first time I did that, um, I was back in college and I was actually, let me look at a, one of the questions that our listener is, um, has said, she said, so how do you know you have a mental health issue versus having bad days and in a bad headspace? That's an excellent question. It is. So normally a mental health issue is not going to go away. It's going to be something that's always kind of lagging. It's just like that pestering fly that just kind of never goes away. It's just there. Whereas when you have a bad day, it's just kind of, yeah, today wasn't a bad, a good day, but you know, tomorrow is better. The next week is better. You can kind of move past it. With mental health issues, you tend not to move past it. You might cover it up or find ways to deal with it. That doesn't mean they're healthy or productive ways, but it doesn't really go away. Exactly. And and the one thing about the mental, you know, it's mental when it's like you said, it doesn't go away. It lingers. It can linger for weeks at a time. Years even. And yes, years. People can stay depressed for years. And then here's the thing. Um, a lot of times when you don't seek professional help, you can uh, use different vices like drinking is one mm-hmm. because I've done that. Uh, sex could be one. Uh, eating food for me, the past, you know, what I do lately is eat food, like indulge, overindulge in food. Like I was saying prior to us going live, like sometimes I can eat food, eat to eat to the point where I'm miserable, where I'm not even hungry, but I'm eating because mentally I may be in a depressed state. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it comes and goes, it lingers, it's gonna be weeks, even years. Mm-hmm. And you think it's gone away, but it hasn't. And it, and the crazy thing about it, like a lot of times if I try to mask uh, like that I'm okay, people can tell like, Tori, you're not. And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. And people can tell that I'm not, but you know, it, it you're right. It comes and it goes and you may have, you may go for a period of time where you feel like you're okay, but the reality is you're not. And like a lot of times for me, I'm the type of person I don't like to burden anyone. So I don't like to talk to people or, or I'll just shut completely down, which is not healthy because isolation is not healthy because when you're, when you isolate yourself, that's when, your mind is attacked the most, right. especially when you're by yourself. Cause it's kind of like now you're living with your mental health and it's just like you and your mental health and your mind can play tricks on you and tell you different things. And the isolation is definitely not healthy, but also that's why seeking mental health and seeking a counselor is healthy because it's that person. You're not burdened them because that's their job. Actually, as counselor, we want to help. That's why we get into the field. We want to help everybody. We want to fix everybody. (laughs) Right. right. Sometimes we have to talk to colleagues and colleagues have to tell us like, okay, stop. You're doing too much. Right. We want to pat you up and send you out the door and say, you're a fly. (laughs) You're like a bird fly away. But (laughs) it just doesn't work like that. But I do want to say this. When you're choosing a counselor, you also have to choose someone who has a personality that matches yours, because that's something else, too, that prevents people from going to counseling. Maybe in the past they've gone to counseling and they did one or two sessions and the person just didn't feel right. It wasn't a right fit. Their personalities didn't match. That person is not a good fit for you. Sometimes you might have to do two or three counselors and change because you need somebody you can feel comfortable with. You need somebody who's not judging you. So you might have to go through a couple of counselors before you find that fit. Okay. And then the other thing that um, the other thing that I would suggest as well is when it comes to um, 
I noticed that when it comes to children, sometimes Mm -hmm. you do have to have the same, you have to do the same thing. Cause I actually had, um, I actually had my son in counseling before. And there was one of the counselors like he went through, I think two different counselors and the first counselor we went like for a few months. And then uh, they finally said, well, I don't feel like feel as though I'm helping. Mm -hmm. And they, my son would not open up to them. But once he got that second one, my son started talking and I seen a improvement in mm-hmm. his behavior, his old, I mean, everything started to change. And I think that is, that is so important that you make that connection because if you don't connect with that particular counselor, mm-hmm. they're not helping you. And I'm glad that because a lot of times for me being a parent, I would not like, like the end when they started the session, I would be in the room, but you know, I want to give them the privacy. Mm-hmm. So I'll leave it. I think that counselor to this day that they recognized that they felt like they were not connecting to my son and suggested that he, you know, seek an, you know, I found another counselor, which was in the same network, but that the, the counselor that he changed to, mm-hmm. he was able to connect with talk to I mean they were having conversations and some stuff that he couldn't talk to me about which was you know which was cool and even now to this day like now my son is talking to me about things that he would normally talk to so now like I said I could tell the difference that it has made and a lot of times as a parent we have to recognize when our children right like if we cannot um get our children to, to, you know, connect when it comes to their behavior or things that they may be going through. Like a lot of times we feel as parents, like now I know my son says that I've never told him this and I hope I never have told him this, but you know, a lot of times when, especially when you're raising a male child, you have to, you don't tell that child that they can't cry or you don't tell them the man up. You know, a lot of times they'll say, well, man up, stop crying. But you have to allow men, the, the male children, as well as men, they, they have emotions just like we do. And it's like a lot of times we tell them not to cry. And that actually I don't think that's a good thing to do to tell them to to not to cry, not to allow them to express their emotions, as well as telling them to man up, especially, being, you know, mm-hmm. to a, a, a boy. You don't tell them that. Right. Because that boy is going to turn into a man, which is going to make it hard for him to find or seek help because you've already told him and implanted in him. It's wrong to get help. It's wrong to cry. It's wrong to be vulnerable, vulnerable. And basically, that's one of the reasons why men are less likely to seek help, especially black men. And I also want to point this out, too. For as black counselors, there's definitely a um, deficit of black counselors where we don't have a lot of black counselors in South Carolina. So that's also an issue. I think sometimes men feel like they don't want to be vulnerable with the woman or they don't want to share intimate thoughts with the woman. They rather have a man or someone who looks like them because they feel like that person could understand them better. And it's just a lack of male counselors. So oftentimes they feel like, okay, again, I'm ready for help, but there's no one that is like me that can give me that help. Absolutely. And that, like I said, that goes back to making that connection. Mm-hmm. Like, how can I talk to you and you can't relate to me? Right. How is that possible? But like I said, I was fortunate enough to find a counselor that could uh, connect with my son, which was truly a blessing. And it got to the point where his behavior improved dramatically and we no longer had to see counseling. But I think um, we did it for, I want to say, and I'm just, you know, just telling the truth of what I, my personal experience, I think we did a counseling for, um, I want to say a year. 
and um, maybe a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And I could see the difference. Right. Like some people are not going to, some people are honestly, some people are going to have mental health issues to the point where pretty much they're going to need counseling all of their life, depending on how severe the mental health issue is. Where on the other hand, there's going to be some people, some people are fine after two or three sessions. Some people is going to take a year, year and a half, two years, six months. Everyone is different. So you can't really put a time on how long it takes. But when the person seems to be functioning at their best self or functioning to their standard of functioning, then it's kind of time to stop counseling. And some people, they get so comfortable with counseling when it's time to stop or back off, then they get scared. Like you've been holding my hand and I, I just need this. But, you know, it's for some people, it's not meant to be long term. And for other people, it's going to be long term because they're just going to require it longer. Yes, I, I agree because I actually have um, friends that have they go to the counselor every you know once a week, mm -hmm. and I was thinking to myself, maybe that may be me. <laughs> I may be one of those people that may at least if it's not, and I'm just being honest, just you know if it's not even you know once a week, at least twice a month, mm -hmm. like go every other week because sometimes you just need that. Uh, someone just to talk to and somebody that's not going to be, that's not going to be judgmental. Someone that's going to be biased. And sometimes it's best to talk to people. I feel that you don't know. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's the good thing about counseling because they don't know you is that we're trained to be non-judgmental. Now, does that mean we don't have our own biases and judgments? Yeah, we do. We're human, but we're trained to put our own biases and judgments aside and listen to you because after all the session is not about me it's about you so the only time counselors we give or tell anything about ourselves if it's pertinent to the counseling session some people want to know about their counselor and kind of have like a background of them and if it's somebody that feels like you know I can't really open up to you until I know a little bit about you then I'll kind of tell them little things about me some people if they're kind of telling me about their family and stuff, well, they don't want to talk to someone who's not a mother. So then I'll tell them like, yeah, you know, I have two kids. I'm a mother. And I'll kind of give them a background. Some people, they don't want to hear anything about you. I'm here. This is my session. And I want to talk. <laughs> and I just be quiet and let them talk. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So and so when you have those people, do you ever have, uh, say, you have someone that comes into your office and maybe the first maybe couple sessions, they just may sit there and may not want to talk. And it takes a while. Does it sometimes take a while for some people to open up? Sometimes it does. Um, mostly with, I find with kids, most adults, when they come, they're ready because that was their last shot, their last option. So they're ready to talk. Most of the time it's kids because the parent is making them come. So they kind of have that exterior that's tough. I don't want to talk to you, lady. I don't know you. And so usually we do icebreaker things where, you know, we'll just do things like color and depending on the age, we'll color or we'll listen to music or I'll ask you, what do you like to do? And we'll bond and mm -hmm. we'll talk about things, you know, that just the child likes to do. And slowly as they start to open up, then they'll tell me more and they'll start saying, well, I don't like this or I don't like that. And then we just kind of build off of it. It's with teenagers and adolescents, youth is kind of like gaining their trust because most of the time somebody's making them come. So you're the last person they want to see to them. You're another adult that's about to tell them what to do. And they don't want to hear what you got to say, just like they didn't want to hear anybody else. <laughs> right. And then I noticed too, how um, like a lot of times you can have the interaction as, as far as um, they'll give you like different exercises to, do, to, to take home. Mm -hmm. Cause I noticed that when the counselors gave a couple of them gave, 
well, the first and the second one gave him assignments to something that he can do at home. Mm -hmm. And it allowed him more time to open up. Mm -hmm. And then there were some exercises that he did that it allowed me to interact with him as well, which I thought was really, really, really good. And it actually helped our communication Mm -hmm. because there was a time that he would just, my son would just shut down. And wouldn't talk to me. But now he talks to me about everything, which I am grateful for, because like I said, he was shut down and wouldn't talk. But now I can't get him to shut up, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm happy. I'm I'm grateful. I'm grateful for it, because like I said, I was wanting him to talk, but he wasn't. Now he's talking. And like I said, some stuff I'm like, I don't want to (laughs) know. Now he's too open. <laughs> right. But I love it because that's what you want as a parent. You want your child to be able to talk to you, especially, you know, about anything that they may be, you know, struggling with when it comes to school, you know. And of course, you know, I have a teenager. So he's at the age where, you know, they, he's got his eye on a little girl, you know, but, you know, certain conversations I'm not ready to hear. But, <laughs> you know, it's I'm grateful that he's actually opening up and talking um, about things. But I think that we need to, as in the black community, need to uh, stop thinking that we don't need help right. when we do. It's going to take a, a lot more than prayer sometimes. It's right. going to take a lot more than prayer. Um, sometimes we're going to have to seek some professional help and take our time as far as knowing that. Um, and I think a lot of times, too, because of I can only speak for me, sometimes when you have been betrayed and hurt, mm-hmm. And you don't trust right easily, it's hard for you to trust anybody, right. just anybody sometimes. But you know, you have to sometimes take a risk in life and trust someone. And sometimes I think, like I said earlier, I think sometimes it's better and easier to talk to someone that you don't know. I think so too. And also I want to put this out here. Um, for me, it's not just that I'm the counselor because I've sat on the other side. So I've also been the client and received counseling myself. So I know how it is to be the counselor and the client. So it's not just me and, you know, I'm just listening to you and I'm, I'm, I'm just above everything because I've been the client too. So I know how it is from both ends. And that, and I'm trying to find, a, there was a post that I saw. And I said, ironically, I see this post today when I'm going to be talking to you on the show. Let me see if I can find it. And I thought it was very, um, actually on point to what we were talking about today. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, give me a second. The post said, um, beating depression gotta be my biggest flex you know how hard it is to fight every day with yourself. I'm so proud of myself. I thought that was so, and cause it's like, like I said, people don't know. They'll see your smile. Mm-hmm. They'll see you talking there. And I know for me, like I said, sometimes people can tell, but um, sometimes I can encourage someone else and be rooting somebody else on when I need it for myself. Right. And that that is something hard to do. Like there's days where you don't want to get out of bed and stuff like that. But that is like that is when I saw that, I was like, that's on point to what we're talking about today. That is the biggest flex that you can do because nobody knows what you are dealing with mentally. Nobody knows that but you. But like I said, it's obvious sometimes when you don't answer the phone 
when you don't ask the text message, because I actually had someone ask me just a date, like, man, what's going on? I hadn't heard from you. What? I'm like, I'm cool. Like, no, you, you, you're not good. I, I normally talk to you every day. What's the, what's the deal? And I'm like, mm, I just didn't feel like talking. Like, what's wrong? Like, and it's like something, sometimes you just don't feel like talking. That's how I am. I just completely shut down. I don't feel like talking, but you have to come out of that um, shell and, you know, not, not to isolate yourself. And the first step is the it's a really big step. But the first step is to, you know, seek out that help, get a counselor, you know, positive solutions. We are accepting referrals. <laughs> so we are open. Right. <laughs> so, so do you take um? do you have to you so you y'all always take um open clients at any time? Yeah, because, you know, like some places they don't accept new clients. So. I want to put this out for everyone who's listening. Positive Solutions, we are accepting new clients. Um, the owner is Dr. Dolores McKnight. I'm sure she wouldn't mind if I gave her number. It is 843-992-7387. Or you can call me, Nicole Fall, and my personal phone number is 843-453-4595. We are definitely taking new clients. We pretty much work with everyone. We work with adults. We work with kids. We work with families. Um, and again, if we can't help you or it's a little above our heads, we will give you a referral to somebody who's better suited. And what are the hours of operation? We work on a flexible schedule. We work on weekends. Um, we pretty much work around your schedule. And because we understand that transportation can be an issue for some people, we provide mobile counseling and we also do virtual counseling. Really? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Vir virtual and mobile. That's that's awesome. That's good to know. And and but some people, you know, when it comes to virtual, though, sometimes it's better for them to actually be in office because how does it work with the virtual? Is there a way that you can have like you if you're talking to someone do they have to, is it mandatory? Is it, is it like a Zoom? It's a what Zoom is? because Zoom is um, authenticated. And what that means is I have to give you a password in order to log on. So that kind of keeps the HIPAA. Now I want to say this, if we're doing virtual, no counselor can guarantee confidentiality a hundred percent because you are in your own background or in your own area. I can guarantee you on my end, but not on your end. So you have to take the necessary precautions to like, um, be in a room by yourself, a quiet space, or if you don't want anyone to hear your conversation, you have to go into a place where they can't hear it because I can do nothing about that. Now, when it comes to the Zoom and the virtual, do you guys require that? Because, you know, a lot of times with Zoom, you can have your camera on or off. Do you guys require that the camera is on at all times? We don't require it, but I would definitely prefer it just so we can make eye contact and I can see you and I can see your body language. You can see mine. So I would definitely prefer it. Everyone doesn't have access to Internet to even be on Zoom. So for that, we can also do virtual by telephone. OK. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. So, but see, the thing is, the reason why I ask about the um, whether the camera has to be on or off, because a lot of times well, a lot of Zoom meetings, you can say you're doing one thing, but you're not asking because I know I'm guilty of this. I don't always when I'm on Zoom meetings, I don't always have my camera on mm -hmm. so I can be having listening to the Zoom and I can be in my kitchen eating plate of food or doing whatever, especially when we don't have my camera. That's why I said Do you guys require it, because when it comes to counseling, I feel that I think it is a better connection when you have the camera on. But like I said, you know, it doesn't if you don't if they don't require you turn your 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 camera on, they can be doing anything. They could tell you they're doing one thing and be to doing something totally different. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 
So I mean, that has happened to me. One time I was doing a counseling, this little girl virtually, and she was outside jumping rope. Wow. <laughs> so it's definitely happened. And I just ended the session because at a certain point, you know, if you have the camera off, it is your session. So if you're not going to take it serious, I cannot force you to take it serious, but it is your session. So if you're choosing not to get anything out of it, that's your choice. But if you're not going to get the most out of a session that you have paid for, then what is the point to ask for counseling? You right. have to be ready for the help. Absolutely. And the other question that um, the other question that I was actually going to ask um, if um, the, the also give out your social media handles early, um, wrap, get up, give us social, your social media handles and also your phone number. Once okay. again, for those that are listening. <laughs> okay. I do not have any. I know I'm horrible, but I do not have any social media. <laughs> okay, well, just for just repeat your phone number. Okay, my phone number, Nicole Fall with Positive Solution Counseling, is eight four three four five three forty five ninety five, and the owner is Dr. Dolores McKnight, and her number is eight four three nine nine two seven three eight seven. And I'd like to say she has an office in Florence and Columbia. Okay, sounds good. And guys, and thank you, Nicole, so much for um, being my guest today. It has been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're more than welcome. And you guys, um, we're going to wrap it up. And of course, if you'd like to be a guest on the Keep the Faith podcast, you can contact me at 843-920-8124. That number again is 843-920-8124. And you can also email me at faithisnecessary at gmail.com. Thank you guys for listening. And if you are... um, If you would like to, if you missed the beginning, you can go and watch the replay. It'll be posted on social media platforms. Thank you so much. And always remember to keep the faith. We are out. Bye, you guys. Bye.